how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? John chapter 5. How bad do you want it? Really bad. <laughs> you know, the, the, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They talk about Jesus, what he did, what he said, and how his life affects us. The book of Matthew, or the, the gospel according to Matthew, it introduces Jesus as the king, or the king of, Jew, of the Jews, because they were waiting for the king to come. So Matthew explains to them that this is the king you've been waiting for. That's why he begins with the genealogy of Jesus. To prove to them that this guy is the guy you've been waiting for all these years. The book uh, of Mark introduces Jesus as the son of God. The son of God. They understood the language. When you say son of God, they understood what it meant. They understand that Jesus was human, but he, he was not just human. They understood what the son of God meant. It means a human with supernatural powers, a human with something different. But not only a son of God, but the son of God who suffered for humans. A son of God who suffered for humans. Luke presented Jesus as a savior. In fact, Luke was not a Jew, so he was a Gentile. He tries to approach his writing like trying to appeal to the Gentiles. And he says in his gospel that Jesus is a savior for all. He's trying to expand the impact of Jesus to other Gentiles, like me, like you, that Jesus came for us too. So that was Luke. And here comes John. John doesn't write the way other, all other three wrote. In fact, John did not even use the same sources because these three were kind of ex exchanging sources. But John comes with a different approach and he's writing about Jesus as God. Not as a son of God, not as a savior only. Not, no, that Jesus is God. And that's the point he's trying to prove. Or he's proving, not trying to prove. He focuses on signs and miracles and Jesus' words and, and, and statements. And he's, he's showing his audience that this guy is God. Not just a son of God, but he is God. So, why Jesus performed miracles? Well, you can, you can assume why he wanted to help people, of course. But another reason, or one of the main reasons why Jesus performed miracles was to prove that he was God. He was proving to people that he is God. He performed miracles to show that he works above all the elements. He controls the elements. He controls the nature. He has authority over creation. Jesus proved that. So in John chapter 5, we see another example of God, of Jesus, proving that he is God. In John chapter 5, we see Jesus coming to prove to us that he was God. So he's finding this man who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus came across the man who was sick for 38 years, and he proved that he was God. So let, let's read what, what happened. John chapter 5. After this, 
a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within this lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after, after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up. Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Some of you may realize that when you're reading your Bibles, you don't have verse 4. Some, some versions don't have verse 4. It jumps from 3 to 5. If you're paying attention, maybe your version doesn't have that. NIV, NLT, some of the new West versions don't have verse 4. They removed that verse 4 because they, some scholars believe that the early manuscript did not have verse 4. But they added it there. Some people added it there to give sense to verse five, verse 7, which is talking about when the water is stirred up. So there is, we can go and debate about that, but most scholars believe that that verse 4 is not even needed there for you to understand the story. Because the story is not about the angel stirring the water. So it's not about the angel and the water. The story is about Jesus and the man. So if we take the angel and the water out, it doesn't change anything to our story. So we are not going to go into that debate now. I just want you to know that if you are reading your Bible, you may not find four. And don't question where it went. Who took verse four from my Bible? No, <laughs> no one. There is just a debate around that. But it's not a big deal. It says the angel stirred the water. So let's leave that out. It was a Sabbath day. A day of rest. A day when no one was supposed to do anything, any work. So many sick people were laying there. The lame, the blind, and paralyzed. And they were just there, camping, waiting for an opportunity for the water to be stirred up. And the first one to jump in, they believed that the first one to jump in or to be thrown in, whatever, will be healed. They believed that. It was a belief around. That it happens. After the water is stirred up, if you are first in, you get healed. Jesus decided on this particular day, this particular time, to visit this particular place and see this specific person. The, 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 the pool was called Bethesda, which means in Hebrew, a house of mercy. They were there waiting for mercy, waiting for grace. I define mercy as not getting the punishment you deserve. 
and I define grace as getting the favor you don't deserve. And they were waiting for mercy to be healed. They were waiting for favor that they don't deserve. They were waiting for healing. So they had this belief or this mindset that every time you jump into the water first, someone gets healed. They left their homes to go and camp there because of that belief. They left their businesses. They, have the, they left everything to go and wait for healing at that place. It was a belief system. It was a system they believed in. And there were many of them believing the same thing. And Jesus came and faced this person. If we read verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? John does not tell us why this man went to Jesus. Jesus went to this man. Why this particular person? John does not give us the reason why Jesus approached this person. In fact, Jesus had the power to heal everybody there. And it could have been even, in my opinion, better. But he chose to go to this one person to talk to him. Jesus located this person. May God locate you today. May the grace and the favor of God locate you today. It was his day. That's what we say. This is my day. This man received favor he was waiting for. It was his day. And when I was reading this verse, I remember this song that we sang this morning. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. And Jesus did not pass him by. Jesus went to him directly and spoke to him. The first point I would like you to extract from this text is the fact that Jesus knew. The word says, Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there for a long time. So when Jesus went to him, he was not going to ask for diagnosis. You know, when you go to the doctor, they ask you, they ask you, since when did it start? How do you feel there? And how do you feel here? And do you sleep? Are you eating? The doctor is trying to collect data to know so that they can give you prescription. Jesus was not going there to ask for details so that he can give him prescription. Jesus knew. And my first point there is Jesus knows. Maybe you have forgotten that Jesus knows. He is God. He is omniscient. He knows everything about you, about your past and about your future. Jesus knows. Jesus knows your pain. He knows your hurt, your confusion. He knows and he understands you. For 38 years, this man was struggling. Maybe his family tried to help the first year. You know, the first year, you take him there every day. And the second year, maybe the first fifth year, someone started to, 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 to pull off. And then the sixth year, someone said, no, 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 I can't do this again. And then the mom stopped, then the dad stopped. I think the mom was the last one to stop. 
I think the dad started. I'm tired. Then the brothers and then the mom tried the best she could do. And then at the end of the day, the mom got tired. And he was there alone. We just know that. He said, no one. I have no one to help me. That means people tried and got tired. And Jesus knew. This man is tired. Maybe that's why Jesus went to him. Maybe other people had some helpers to help them. But this one did not. Maybe he was the only one without help. We don't know. The scripture does not give us other details. What the scripture gives us is that this man was alone, desperate for a long, long, long time there. Maybe your doctor has told you that there is nothing else they can do about your situation. Maybe you've been praying for someone to change for many years and it seems like nothing is happening. Maybe, maybe your mountain is standing in front of you. I want you to know Jesus is aware. Jesus knows what you are going through. Jesus knows your diagnosis. He knows when your accountant tells you. Your accountant tells you the numbers don't look good. Your numbers don't look good. Jesus knows it. He's aware of your fears. He's aware of your confusion. He's aware of your dreams. He's aware of your expectations. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Because Jesus knew, he approached the man and asked the question. I believe the question was more for the man than for Jesus. The question was for the man. Jesus was not looking for more information. Jesus knew the details. The question was for this man. And he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Maybe someone who has got someone to help them. Maybe someone who is stronger than me. Maybe someone who is well than me. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But I've been here for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, God help us. You would wonder why this man couldn't just say, yes, I want to get well. That's an easy answer, isn't it? Oh, we, we don't do that. Don't think this man was crazy. We are like that. I can tell you, you and I are like that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> when things are going bad in our life, we, 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 we don't look at the problem as it is. We blame the system. We blame people. We, blame, we, we try to find someone to blame. He was blaming the system. <sighs> My problem is that I'm not strong enough because someone else is the problem. They are getting there before me. So it's, it's not that I want, I don't, no, no, it's, it's them. That's why I'm not getting well. They are faster than me. It's the system. It's the system. Most people with issues, and I, I think you will agree with me, most people with issues want to be accepted rather than changed. Most people with issues, they want to be affirmed rather than transformed. And that's the generation we are living in. People with issues want to be affirmed. Instead of being changed, you, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. You're being late, oh, it's okay, you know, life is hard. Yeah, just keep coming when you can. You know, it's, it's life. No, come on time. Oh, sorry. You don't want to be, yeah, I don't, yeah. No, no. Let me be kind. 
This man had already built a relationship with other sick people there. He lived there. So watch this. They talked to each other. How are you this morning? Is everything okay? Oh no, my friend. Pen here. Pen here. Oh, okay. You can't see. You can't see me. No, I can't see you. I'm blind. You know, I can't see you. Oh, okay. The, the, the weather is nice. Oh, I wish I could have been able to see. And they keep talking to each other about their issues. And they ask each other questions. And they comfort each other. <laughs> this man thought like a sick person. He smelled like a sick person. He talked like a sick person. His friends were sick. His neighbors were sick. So being healed from this friend, for this man meant leaving all these things behind. Leaving his friends behind. Finding new friends is not easy. You know that. Finding a new job. Maybe he didn't want to work because he lived on a government something. Paying taxes. No, I don't want to pay taxes. I will remain here so I can avoid taxes. <laughs> and I believe the government should help people. It helps me too. So, but, but I will continue even though it helps me. This means he had to take on some responsibility in the community as a whole person. He has to pay his taxes. He has to work. And after 38 years... Technology has changed. So maybe he has to go back to school and learn how to use a phone. After 38 years, technology changes a lot. Maybe he needed to learn new skills. And no, 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 no. Do I really want to get well? Do I really want to pay the price of a new, of a, of a whole person? Do I want to leave all this behind? You know, you know we get comfortable in our sickness. And I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not blaming even myself. Even myself. You know, I, I can talk about myself. So the, the question was, how bad do you want it? That's the question Jesus was asking. He was not just asking, do you want to get well? His question was, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to take the responsibilities of a whole person? Are you willing to leave this friend and go make new friendship? Are you willing to leave this place and go live in a new place? Are you willing to leave all these things behind and go and live a life as a responsible person? Uh, uh, am I really or am I not? Uh, Jesus, you know, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Everybody says they want to change, but only few people are willing to pay the price for change. Very few people. You know, I grew up in a very, the poorest, the poorest suburb of my town. Very, very poor. As a kid, we would count on one hand the number of houses with TVs. Could count with our hands. I know, they, they have a TV, they have a TV, they have a TV, they have a TV. We could count houses with TVs. And, and for us to go and watch a movie, they will ask us to bring a stone. Maybe they are building or something. And you go to the river, you bring a stone, you put it there, then you enter the house, you watch a movie. You are happy, you go back home excited. And sometimes during the African Cup of soccer, eh, soccer game, that everybody wants to watch the games. And there was only one house with a battery. And electricity was an issue. So that house will become rich because they can 
ask us to bring, if you don't have money, you have to bring some, a bag of stones. So you go to the river, you pack stones, and then you bring stones, you put them there, they will make a big stack, they will sell it, of stones for you to enter and watch the game. That's how poor my area was. We did not have TVs. We did not have electricity all the time. It was on for one week and off for six months. But I realized <laughs> that I built this mindset, mindset of poverty. All my friends were poor. My language was poor. My environment was poor, so I smelled poverty. I spoke poverty. I dressed up poverty. I, I was a poor person. To get out of my mindset, I needed to answer this question from Jesus. Do you want to get well? Do you really want to leave this place? You know, <laughs> most people don't give a straight, a straight answer just like this guy. Because I used to blame the system. I blamed my parents. I blamed my dad for dying early. I blamed the church. I blamed, the, the, I blamed everyone. I blamed the system. I blamed the government. I blamed the president. I blamed everybody else but me. Blamed everybody. The rich, the poor, my ancestors, <laughs> my race. I blamed everyone and everything for my situation. Even God. I blamed God. But nothing was changing. My blame was not changing anything. And then one day I realized that something must change. And I think that thing is me. Yes, yeah, something, must, something must change. But it feels like everybody else that I want to change is not changing. Maybe, maybe I must be the change. So I stopped thinking as a poor person. I started thinking as God thinks about me. I started to change my mindset. I started to think of me as an intelligent, articulate, handsome, gifted boy. <laughs> From the time I changed my mindset, God started to bring new friends in my life. Why? Because I could handle them. There are people God will bring only when your mind changes. God started to bring new partners in my life. Why? Because my mind was not a poor person anymore. Now I can speak a language that everybody else will understand. Because as a poor person, every time you talk to people, you want them to help you. You know my life, you know my life, you know my life. Who cares? Partnership is about bringing something to the table. What do you bring to the table? What do I bring? That's, that's, that's connections. That's what business, who does business here? You know what I'm talking about. What do you bring? What do I bring? That's what people want to hear. But that's business. In business, people want to exchange favors. But my language before was just, what can I get? Please look at me. Look at my... And then God said, no, 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 stop. What do you bring to people? Bring something. Earn it. My mind changed and God brought new people in my life. And I started to feel the change. The change. The change. The change. And doors were opened for me because my mind changed. So taking responsibility is the first step toward change. You can't change what you avoid confronting. You can't change it. So Jesus knew 
this man was in a bad situation and his mindset was bad. That's why he went to him. Jesus knows your situation. But it's one thing, Jesus, to know your situation. It's another thing, Jesus, to care about it. So the second thing I want to say is Jesus cares about your situation. He cares about you. Jesus did not approach this man for a chat. Jesus did not just go there to say, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. See you next time. Jesus did not go there for a conversation. He went there because he cared about him. Verse 8 says, get up. Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Maybe the people around him thought, oh, who does this guy think he is? Does it, he doesn't see that this person can't get up, can't pick up his mat, can't walk. There will be people in your life who will tell you that. They will tell you, what does God think? No, no, you are crazy, you are crazy. No, God can't ask you to do that. It's too, yeah, God can't ask you to do that. That is crazy. He, he has asked you to do it. Because it's possible. Who is the person God is asking you to forgive? And you feel like you can't. It's possible. You can forgive. It may feel impossible, but I know you can forgive. It may feel impossible, but I know that project God wants you to start. You can start it. It can feel impossible, but your future that God is showing you will come to pass. One of the most complex decisions I've made in my life is moving. It's, it's never been easy to move. Just let me give you my itinerary so you understand what I'm talking about. I left Congo when I was 20, around 2019, 20, with a group of people. So I was not alone. I was with a band, a group of my friends. We moved from Rwanda, Congo to Rwanda. We knew nobody in Rwanda. God sustained us, but it was a tough decision to make. As a leader of the band, it was hard. But I don't know how we survived. Praise God I met my wife there. Hallelujah. It was worth the effort and the risk. Then we moved to Uganda. We moved to Uganda after five years. At this time, we have, we have, I have my wife. <laughs> Just to convince her that we have to move with another story. That's another day. We lived in Uganda for two years. To move from Uganda to Tanzania was another story. Because I knew nobody everywhere. It was just hearing this voice in me like, yeah, that's, this is what God wants. We moved to Tanzania. We lived in Tanzania for five years. I love the people. I loved Tanzania. We loved Tanzania. We wanted to stay in Tanzania forever. God opened doors for us to move to Australia. It was not an easy task. To move from Tanzania to Australia was the, one of the hardest decisions I've made in my life for my family. We had three children. Already, my wife and I, we had three children. So imagine to move a family. That was not easy. It took a lot of prayer. Every time we moved, we lost friends. Because some people disagreed with the process. That's life. So every time we moved, we lost friends. And we gained more friends. But yeah, that's, that's life. So coming to Australia, we, you know the story. So I'm not going to go back there. We stayed in Sydney. I stayed in Sydney for many years. And then <laughs> another move to Tamworth. From the big city to a country town. God needed really to convince me it was him. 
giving me reasons. Then we move to, to Tamworth. And then, as funny as God is, <laughs> you know where I'm going. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not staying in Tamworth. You are going to pastor the church in Ghana. Oh, God. I don't know what to say. I, I think this is it. God, this is it. This is it. This is it. <laughs> no, remember I said every move, the place I was going was better. Yeah? This is better. This is, this is the greatest of them all. But, but, but it was the pain, the decision that I was making, the, the overcoming the fear, overcoming the, the fear and trusting God, that, that, that was the thing that guided me to the will of God, overcoming the fear. I'm not saying every time, it's not every time that I'm moved. No, there are places I said no. So it's not like every time you have to move because moving is better. No, sometimes God wants you to stay in one place. Jesus called me because he cared about me. He calls you because he cares about you. Finally, Jesus came. When Jesus calls you, when Jesus asks you something, he equips you. When Jesus asked this man to stand, he gave him the power to do it. When Jesus asks you to do something, he equips you to do it. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started walking, obeyed the voice of God. Before Jesus' command, this man did not have the power to stand. It's Jesus' command that equipped the man with the strength to stand. Jesus is the power that makes us stand, the strength to make us walk. He is the confidence that makes us face the future. He sees and he knows who you are becoming. You know, people look at you through the lens of the person you used to be. But Jesus sees the person you are becoming. He, he, he sees that. God knows where and when your heart was broken. Jesus knows the criticism that cuts you to the core. Jesus knows your past failures. He knows your medical reports. God knows the numbers your accountants showed you. He knows that. If Jesus found this man after 38 years, I believe he will also find you. Even when nobody seems to be concerned about your situation, remember Jesus cares. He knows you have made some bad mistakes in the past. He knows that, but he cares. Your boss may not care. Your friends may not care. Your neighbors may not care. But Jesus cares about you. Sometimes even your family doesn't care, but Jesus cares. It is good news to be aware that Jesus knows your situation. It is very encouraging to know that Jesus cares. But how about if Jesus cares, but he can't do anything about it? The answer is Jesus is powerful and he can do all things. So not only he cares, not only he knows, but he can do something about your situation. As a father myself, I struggle when I see my children in a situation that I can't do anything about it. But Jesus is not like me. Jesus is not Mike Matumaini. Jesus is Jesus. He is God. When he sees you in pain, he can do something about it. His power is not limited. Mighty kings have been defeated. Mighty emperors have been defeated. They conquered everybody except one thing, their own wives. They conquered everything except one thing, their own selfishness. 
But Jesus is almighty. That means there is nothing that can conquer him. He's got the power, unlimited power, undefeated power over everything. He's almighty. The Bible calls him El Shaddai. He knows about your situation. The almighty God knows. The almighty God cares. The almighty God can and will. 